This is Genre Junkies, a celebration of horror, science fiction, and fantasy. Today, we are reviewing The China Pandemic, a post-apocalyptic medical thriller by A.R. Shaw. I am your beloved host, Sandra. And I'm Scott. Hi. Your slightly beloved co-host. <laughs> <laughs> um... So you kind of know what we do here. We mostly talk about books. We read books. We want you to read books with us. That oft-looked-down-upon uh, section known as genre fiction, which covers those things I was talking about. That's what we're celebrating here. And we especially, on our podcast, like to talk about some things that maybe everybody else isn't talking about. Books that aren't getting the attention that they deserve or that could at least be brought into the spotlight for you to say if you love them or hate them. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to start with general impressions. Going to give it a grade. I'm going to talk a little bit through it, but spoilers are going to come later. So if you haven't read the book yet, we're going to give you a warning before we start to talk about spoilers. So don't freak out. You've got time. Uh, how about I go first? Go for it. All right. General impressions here. Uh, when we have not talked about this. We do not talk about these books. We let each other know when we start it. And when we finish it. It's been so hard not to talk about this book. It's very hard. If you're a reader and you are hanging out with other readers, you want to talk about what you're reading. So here's the thing. This is a quick read. This is actually a really quick read. I think it was like, ooh, 300 and something pages. We'll put it in the notes below. But it, it moved quickly. So Sandra's general impression. Um, I had some hard times with this book. Really? Uh... I struggle a little bit to give it a grade, but in all honesty, I guess to be erring on the side of kindness, I'm going to say a C minus. Wow. Yeah. I had a lot of issues with this book. There was things that I really liked about it, but there was things about it that were just not, not working for me. And I can tell by your face and your voice that you are going to have a very different opinion than myself. Well, I think I'm going to guess on a few of your points. Oh, don't guess. No, I'm, I'm going to guess specifically okay, right this moment. Okay, because I'm going to let you know. But I think I have an idea of, what, of what's going on. So... Let me okay. okay yeah, let go me just go it. through my general impressions. Then I'll let you. I can tell you really want to. You really yeah. just want to grab this microphone away from me and tell everyone to stop listening to me because clearly my grade was too low for you. Uh, but here's the thing: I used to love post-apocalyptic fiction, and I still like it. But it was my favorite, favorite subgenre. And you know, a while ago there was a huge boom of it, and it was freaking everywhere. Everybody had a damn post-apocalyptic book from YA to adult. So I've read a lot of it. And when you read a lot of something and you're really immersed in it and you really love it, you're going to find things that you like and that you don't like. So admittedly, I'm not burnt out on this genre like a lot of readers are, but I'm very critical of it. Fair now, enough. besides reading adult books, which I read tons of, I read a lot of YA. I love YA. Um, I love reading about young people and teenagers. My biggest problem with this book was the teenage characters. I thought they were garbage. They were garbage. 
they were like trash people. They were they were not like real humans. They were not like real teenagers. This person did not do a good job at writing the teenagers. She did. I believe it's a she. She, it is a she, which I didn't which know until after I finished. Rad, go girl, and I do love women authors, even if I don't like your books, still write them. Uh, but because obviously some people do like them, but uh, her adult characters were far superior to her kid characters, and it shouldn't be that way. Or if it is going to be that way, there should be a little bit more equalness to the writing of them. Uh, there was also long spans of exposition not like unreadably so Mm -hmm. which i think we've all had books that we've tried to read and it is just seriously blocks and blocks and blocks of exposition and you're like fuck this this person cannot write clearly that is a sign of somebody who can't write yes now this i don't think it's because a.r shaw can't write but it was almost like things were skipped over or glossed over when I would have rather dug into the the juicy gooey center instead of just have it exposed over and onto the next thing um I would best describe this they call this the the publishers the writers whoever they call this post-apocalyptic medical thriller and I get why they're doing that and I admire some of the uh kind of original things that happen here But to me, this should just be called prepper fiction. (laughs) I like some survivalist skills. I am into that. I I do know some things. I feel pretty confident in my zombie apocalypse slash end of the world survival skills. Now, I know Scott is like hella into this stuff. Well, I I enjoy reading about it and I consider it. Yeah. And I think that this is a genre of books this prepper fiction that is for prepper people. Um, this is like the books that the prepper people have been wanting. Finally, someone is giving them a voice in fiction. Um, and that's admirable because I haven't read prepper fiction before. And so I do say, I tip my hat and say, that's cool. Cause I think some people would be super into this, especially some people that maybe don't read a lot. They might get really into this and anything like that, gets people into reading is always a good thing to me even if it's not to your taste it's to somebody's taste anyway i'm gonna talk a little bit more about characters plot structure all that stuff but that was my general impression scott uh take the wheel well i really enjoyed this book Mm -hmm. i didn't love it and for similar reasons as you um, I'm actually going to give my grade away right now, and I'm actually going to call it a C plus, as opposed to my C minus. Yes, um, which for me is actually a pretty good score if that's what I'm looking for. Really, I thought you were going to grade this a lot higher. I, I feel that it suffered from a lot of rookie mistakes. Sure. In authorship. Yeah. Um, I did not like the way that some of the younger characters were written. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I couldn't necessarily speak for all of them because I don't, I don't personally, uh, attach to all of the younger characters, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't, I agree with you on that. I actually didn't think that the author wrote female characters very well, which is why I was surprised that it was written by a woman when I, uh, I think there's one female character that's written very well. Fair enough. 
uh, I I would like to I'll, I'll, I would like to go into that in a little bit, but uh, I also feel okay. So the big difference between Sandra and I when we read books is Sandra loves a lot of deep description. Think uh, the Vampire Chronicles. Um, whereas I like a little bit more action, just a little bit more, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And mm-hmm. I do think that this book suffered from too much of a, just a pure story-based storytelling without enough uh, personal discovery and personal growth. Oh, definitely. That said, I really liked the setting. Mm-hmm. I really liked the story. Yeah. And I was rooting for the characters the entire time. Okay. Um, I I felt that it was a very unique take on the post-apocalyptic story. Right. It had a much more positive tone than those tend to have. I wouldn't classify this in the horror category at all for that reason. No, I'm not exactly sure what it is i mean it is definitely genre but it's it's not quite sci-fi but obviously there's a little bit of a science fictiony thing because we're dealing with a pandemic it's post-apocalyptic little house on the prairie sure (laughs) sure (laughs) why the hell not so who what characters did you uh uh attach to the most my favorite character is ennis uh, I love Ennis. Ennis is an older, much older, like in his 80s, I think. I think he's described as the oldest man that Graham has ever seen. Yeah. And he's African-American gentleman. He's a retired police officer. He's a crusty old salt. He is a crank. He is the type of person that on the surface, you like you kind of grit your teeth because you have to be polite to them because they're an elder Um, But, I mean, really, he is just kind of being, like, a total douche sometimes. But, really, that's just a cover-up. He has a soft center. He has a good heart. And he starts to play ball and become a member of the team. He's clearly a little insecure because he's, he's old as dirt. And he has trouble contributing. But he finds his way. Actually, of all the characters, he has probably the best growth as far as that's concerned. Um, And he becomes, like, really attached to all the others. Um, And I liked him. I like it when characters are kind of unlikable in books. Because it's it's real. My favorite character was Sheriff. Sheriff the dog. Um, I... He's a police dog, German Shepherd. And and I I liked him so much that I wished that there was more... Mm-hmm. There's one chapter in the book that is written from the dog's perspective. It's pretty cool, and it's and it's really. I felt it was very well done, and I wish there was more of it. Yeah, I, I liked that character. I, I liked the character of the dog yeah. so much, and what he what he means to everybody else in the story. He is a great character too. I love love animals, and um, he is very sweet, and uh, he's a very important part of the team. And you don't always get animals in well, a lot of books, but in post apocalyptic books, you don't get a lot of animals. Uh, speaking of animals, there's like the animals have like kind of gone a bit mad. In this version of the world, which is an interesting take on yeah, it. The, the idea is is everything, uh, pet, 
uh, wild animal has become completely feral. Yeah. I don't know if that's the art that that's the author's personal opinion of, of what would happen or if there will be more spoken to that in the sequels to this book. Like if it's specifically something that happened to animals that's like making them this way or are they just kind of like quote unquote reverting to nature and and just becoming incredibly violent and incredibly feral. But there's a lot of stuff about animals in this. Um yeah, and that they're kind of and I mean, who can really blame them? Animals haven't always had a great shot with humans. Maybe they're happy to take over the earth. I you know, I'm kind of okay with it. So who was your least favorite character? Uh well, that would obviously have to be the teenage twins. Which are named, and this is so hard for me. I'm going to mess this up. Uh, just deal with it. I'm sorry. It's uh, uh, Marcy and Macy. Marcy and Macy, the twins. They are 15. Uh, they're yes, 13? they're 15. No, they're 15. They're 15. And they are written like no 15 year olds ever. These they're written people, like they're 12. They're written like they're fetuses. Like they have. <laughs> They have, like, no personality. I mean, okay, he does give them personality. One of them is kind of more of a go-getter. She's kind of more of a, I'm gonna get this done, pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of chick. And then the other one is more timid and kind of um, reserved and fearful. That is really it, though. I mean, like, they they don't talk like teenagers. They don't, they aren't reacting like you would expect teenagers to react in this world. Like I said, I you know it sounds mean when I called them trash people, but they're just like they're like cardboard cutouts of teenagers. There's another teenager who comes in later too, Matt, who is I think like 16, 17. Uh, I think he's 16. Yeah, he's just a little bit older than them. And he is also not a real teenager, like not like a real teenage person. Very very unbelievable there's not enough hormones going on there well it's like this totally flat representation that's the best way i can think of describing them is they're like cardboard teenagers like i would almost rather well i don't really mean this but i would almost rather they be tropey teenagers Mm -hmm. i don't i don't really mean that because i don't like that but (laughs) something my god something i just want to shake them and be like could could you just could you just be more real for me please could you just be more real so, I mean, she should have gotten maybe some source material on teenagers here. Yeah. And, and my least favorite character uh, is one of the children as well. It's Bang, who's a five-year-old child. And he's, he's actually, he's one of my favorite characters, but he's, he's my least favorite written. Okay. I like, I like Bang. I don't love Bang. Mm-hmm. I like Bang. I think she did a little bit of a better job with Bang. But he's still not quite five-year-old material. That's my problem. Um, you know, I cut my teeth on Ender's Game, which actually handles five-year-olds better than uh, Bang. Mm-hmm. All the children in Ender's Game, of course, are well well above their years. Yeah. Bang was written like he was the same age as Macy and 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 Marcy. Mm-hmm. written the same age as, as Mark or Matt or, or yeah. whoever that, that, that boy was, uh, there wasn't enough of a, of a 
differentiation in age from a five-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I felt that that was a problem. I agree. I think some of the stuff he did was really cute. Um, Like, I mean, before his mom died, she taught him some survival skills. And he kind of uses those. And he kind of does it in a really cute way, which I appreciated. Um, So the female character we were referencing that we like, we'll talk about the main lead in a bit, is uh, Tala. Tala, I like. She was a teacher, kind of like Graham, but she taught elementary school. Yeah. And she's lost everyone, too. Um, And she's a really strong female, and I really liked her. She steps into the role of, okay, well, this is our lives now. This is how we live, and we need to find a way to make it work as a family unit. Um, And I thought that was really cool. I don't want to say too much more because I don't want to give stuff away about her. Yes. I mean, again, she's not like, wow, this is such a well-developed character or anything. But, I mean, she was well-developed. She didn't go on any sort of a journey, really, but she was well-developed. I'm glad glad to hear you say that because I liked the character of Tala, but I wasn't sure how I felt about the way that she was portrayed. So it's Mm -hmm. nice to hear from a female's perspective that she was portrayed well. So the lead in this is Graham, obviously. obviously. Graham's resolution. Uh, Graham is, he's all right. He's kind of. He's mad to me. What's the male version of the Mary Sue? The Mary Sue? Yeah, the the female character in, in, um, that can do everything, that can be everyone, that everyone likes. I can't, I, I don't know what it's called, but he's. He's too perfect. Well, sometimes. he's kind of he's representing the everyman. Yes, I believe. Um, but he's just kind of meh to me. His best moments are definitely when he kind of makes jokes or has a little doubt. But um, no, I mean, like if this was like real life, I wouldn't go on a date with Graham. Well, I think the reason I did like Graham is because of his everyman, which normally does rub me the wrong way in books when someone is just perfect and just makes the occasional mistake for further <laughs> purposes of plot. Oops, I made a mistake that time. But uh, this, uh, Graham's character, I felt, when you say he represented the everyman, I wanted to be in Graham's shoes. It's one of the, one of the few times where I read a book and when he does something or doesn't do something or fails to do something, I don't have the reaction. Well, why did he just not do this? That's stupid that he didn't do this. I would have absolutely done this in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not one of those. Well, why did like, no, I, no one would ever go through that door with making the noises behind it in the haunted house. Right. It's he, he didn't make, dumb decisions and the mistakes that he makes were realistic. Yeah. Uh, And for some reason in this particular book, that worked for me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, again, he wasn't my cup of tea really at all. He was just a cup of lukewarm, Mm -hmm. not very flavorful tea, but that's, you know, different strokes for different folks. Um, I only want to talk about plot structure a little bit because I feel like we kind of touched on it and I don't want to spoil too much about the plot because it it does take a little bit of a different direction that maybe not everybody would expect it to. 
I feel the twist that halfway through the book happens. Yeah. Is what made this book very fun for me. Well, it's definitely what made it unique. And that's all I really can say about it without yeah. going into spoilers. But I think that that's what took it from being an okay book to mm-hmm. being one that I'm going to read the next one in this series. Right. That said, I think the biggest weakness that this book had that I hope that sequels will fix mm-hmm. is there wasn't a strong act structure. No, I wouldn't uh, say. The climax happens very quickly uh, and then it's over and it all ends up being quite anticlimactic. And I should say we should have some kindness. I'm extending an olive branch here because this is the first in a series. There is some world building. There is some getting to know you, getting to know structure stuff. And, you know, it's like kind of like paperwork, like we have to get out of the way. Um, so, I mean, it's very possible that the next books might kind of ramp up some of this stuff we're talking about because it's just the first book. But I think you'll be able to know when you read this if you want to continue with the series. I agree. I agree. I think you'll either want to finish the next three books, I believe, it's a four-book series, Mm. or you'll be done with it. The good news is... It's actually a very short book. That was my, that was <laughs> that my was text message sound. That was BB-8. He just wanted to say hi real quick. Sorry, I just had a niece. Well, we just had a niece born. And so I'm just getting a lot of texts. And I forgot to put my phone on silent. So sorry. Um, okay, so Mistakes we, happen. We want to talk. Well, this is real life, people. Yeah. This is real life. So um, similar media. Like I said, I've read a lot of this genre. Pretty much go into a bookstore. Ah, oh, BB-8. Or somewhere where books are involved. Take a dart in your hand, throw the dart, and it'll probably land on a post-apocalyptic book. We're kind of shifting into a little bit more of the age of fairy tale retellings right now, but there's still just a dearth of post-apocalyptic books out there, and everybody's post-apocalyptic is going to be different. So you kind of you kind of have to separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit, but you'll you'll find what you like in post-apocalyptic books. So I think the closest media to this uh, isn't a typical post-apocalyptic book. I thought of Hatchet. Oh, I remember Hatchet. Yeah, I read that. You're rooting for the main character. He's figuring out solutions to problems that he's being uh, given in the world. It's isolationist, but Mm -hmm. um, that was the biggest thing that it reminded me of, and it's one of the reasons why I did I did enjoy it despite its flaws so much because Hmm. I just I wanted. I wanted them to succeed and I wanted yeah. them to win and I wanted to see how they would do it. Uh, and I actually stand by my previous statement of Little House on the Prairie in a post-apocalyptic world. Well, why not? You it's, know, it's a family and that family has struggles in particular with things that happen. Yeah. And um, I think I think that that both of those are actually apt uh, uh, media yeah. Uh, similes. I would also like to offer perhaps the show Doomsday Preppers because, <laughs> like, like I said, this is this is prepper fiction. Um, so I bet if you're into that and learning about survivalism skills, there's some parts of this book that read quite textbook. And that's not necessarily, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or whatever, but it's like, uh, this is what you do. Um, so, so there you go. And I kind of feel... 
Like, we need to just jump into spoilers. I agree. So, thank you for listening to Genre Junkies. Yeah. Uh, if, if you end up reading the book, which I think you should, then join us after the break for the rest of our discussion. Yeah. Complete with spoilers. So, hang on. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We're going to talk about spoilers. We're going to get a little bit more into the nitty-grittiness of it here. Yeah. I almost gave one away. I actually did give it away. And Scott and we're going to have to edit it, it out. out. Yeah, this is a book that's actually hard to talk about without talking about spoilers. I mean, most books really are, but we want to give you enough in the before part to kind of whet your appetite so that you really know what you're getting into. Yeah. Um. Okay, so... With the characters, I mean, I think I made it pretty. I mean, I think I've kind of beat the dead horse with the teenagers and sort of with Bang. Yeah, they're where not. They're not. They're great. not great. Um, so Tala, that lady we we're talking about, she is cool. I like her. She at one point, you remember, she like sacrifices herself to these weird reaper dudes. Okay, I'm glad we're already at that point. And okay, well, here's the thing. Before, okay, okay, so yes, there's always going to be weird raper people, um, post-apocalyptic or non, and these people in particular, you know, they're kind of casing them out, and they've tried to get in there before because it's clearly just some dudes, and they don't have any females, and they want to get some females, so they make a plan, they, like, they just want to take one. And just one. They're just just one. Just one. You can keep the others. Yeah. You just want one. They're trying to be. You so, have too many. They're trying to be so I think fucking. They actually reasonable. say that they have too many yeah. women. Yeah, they have too many women, and they're fat too. It says they're fat, so that means like they have a lot of food. They're like holed up someplace, like fat little ticks. Uh, they're horrible. But anyway, um, and they're gonna take one of the girls, and Tala literally says, "She is a child. Take me," and they don't really hesitate because clearly they just want to grab a woman and get out. And I, I loved that about her, that she she stood up and she's like, take me. I thought that was really badass because she knows exactly what she's getting into. Um, and she would rather just try to save these kids. And I really admired her about that. Um, she also becomes a love interest for Graham, which is kind of predictable. It's kind of tropey. But at the same time, you know, they've both lost their spouses. Mm-hmm. They see something in each other that they like. Um, so they're going to go for it. And I can't blame them. I mean, given the situation, the circumstances, I imagine you're trying to make connections with people. You're going to fall in love maybe pretty easily. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, yeah. And and I think that that the two of them, the, the clear reactions that they had for falling for each other, because mm-hmm. they both, you know, she had her husband. It's not insta-love either. It it's takes not, a little bit. It takes a little bit. And there's still not even... Uh, a huge payoff to it, which I actually appreciate. It's clearly going to build throughout the books a little bit. Yes. Um, but while we're talking about her little sacrifice, <laughs> I, al- I already have a problem yeah. with rape in 
well, any media, unless it is a very important, a very, very important point. And basically the whole story is built around that plot point. Um, I have a lot of, I have a lot of trouble with it in general. Mm -hmm. I think they did enough to explain in kind of side comments like, well, you know, they want a woman. So there's. They, they did enough to explain, well, yeah, of course, this is why they want a woman. Yeah. I really don't think that they needed to go into detail of them physically assaulting her. It doesn't... Okay, now, there's not really necess, necessary to have a trigger warning here because it doesn't get fully graphic. No, it, it, um, no, it does not. Um, and the thing that's awesome, <laughs> we're just like, but is that she keeps fighting. She doesn't go down quietly or anything yes. because they're in a moving vehicle and like she's basically kind of getting groped and touched mm -hmm. and the dudes, one's holding her in the passenger seat trying to like, um, you know, touch her. Ugh, ugh, let me puke mm. for a second. Ugh. And then there's the dude driving and he, they're like fighting like, I, I get her first. No, I get her first or whatever. So, I mean, they're pretty despicable. And of course it's like, there is always going to be those people who want to take advantage of others. Um, it kind of is like, you know, not every man, you know, not every guy is like that. And at least in this book, there's a big dearth of guys that are not like that. Yes. And, but that's, that's why I felt that it, it was gratuitous and out of place in this book in particular mm. is the book did a lot of describing of things that horrible people would do. And yeah. there were even the, the most despicable descriptions yeah. were still vague. Yeah. Either the character blacked out in the middle of it and found the results of it or, or glossed over it and, and fantasized. Mm -hmm. This was the only part in the whole book that was so gratuitously descriptive. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I agree. It's not quite to the level of trigger warning. Um, I mean, you've read the book. She's not classically raped, but no. she's, she's, assaulted. she's physically, she's physically and sexually, yeah. sexually assaulted in a graphic manner. And yeah. I, I don't think that it fit with the rest of the book, and I felt that it was cheap and gratuitous. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Especially considering it was in the last ten pages of the book. Yeah. It's 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 literally one of the last tastes you get in your mouth in this book. <laughs> in this book that is, quite frankly, a very optimistic story. And, you know, I did like that about it because... I mean, here's the thing I've mentioned before. I love history. I'm a history buff, uh, especially about ancient Rome, Greco-Roman culture, uh, Caesar Augustus, you know, conquering the world from the Horn of Africa to the tip of Great Britain. <laughs> and he did it without cell phones or anything like that. So I imagine that we are way more advanced and civilized now, I'd like to think, uh, that if the world were to have something apocalyptic happen, we would be a little bit more okay than a lot of these stories make out. Um, may maybe not. <laughs> maybe not all of us. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I did like that for the most part, there is some optimism. And I think part of what makes that for this book is because we're down to like 2% of the world's population is alive. Yeah. Like, I mean, people are dropping like friggin' flies. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, there's, I think there's more room for optimism because it's like, there's not enough people to make complete chaos. Well, and really the percentage of people in real life that are normal and the people who are crazies, it's a much better ratio than what you see in real life. And of it's course. much better ratio than what you usually read in these sort of books. Yeah. I do think that most preppers uh-huh. would be like the preppers in this book. Yeah. Would, would not be murderous to all outsiders. Right. And I actually highlighted a little piece of that. Um, so, you know, you've read the book if you're listening to spoilers or you don't give a flying about the book and you just want to hear the spoilers just to hear what's <laughs> happening. Um, so about halfway through the book, I want to say about 60%, we get a new perspective and that is the perspective of the preppers. And they're actually called the preppers. Um, and the big thing with the preppers is everyone that you've met beforehand are what are called carriers to the virus. They are infected. They, they carry the virus inside of them. They can infect others, but they, they do not have symptoms. They do not die from it. And the preppers, they've never been exposed to the virus. They immediately went, you know, proverbially underground. They bugged out. They bugged out. Exactly. They bugged out. They've never been exposed. They have all of these plans in place to not be infected. But that means if they come in contact with a carrier, they die. Right. So this piece I've highlighted, and I think this is the first, yeah, this is the first prepper chapter. And like our, our main little crew has kind of had some interaction with the preppers, but they don't really get what they are. When the carriers, at first just a woman and an old man, showed up and broke into a cabin near the lake, Dalton was about to initiate the original plan of action, which was to suit up, go in, and take them out. But while they were on their way through the forest, Graham arrived with the kids and a dog, leaving Dalton's group with a hard decision to make. They aborted the mission, and through planning and stealth, managed to infiltrate Graham's camp that night and hid several motion-activated cameras among the trees to keep an eye on them. Uh, blah 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 it goes on um but so anyway so that's kind of like suddenly we have this new perspective on the story and i guess why i've said it the prepper fiction movement um and these are like she did research and she cites people that she worked with to help her do this um into prepper culture i mean like I don't know. I don't want to speak for all preppers. I don't know if this speaks for all preppers, but um, it seems to be very well researched. Well, I and, a- and, and and sorry, just to kind of put a bow on that too is that yeah, this was their plan to like we can't get involved. We have to get rid of carriers. But the one of the preppers, Dalton, he knows Graham. He knows they him. They grew up together, and it's kind of like there's some nice pieces of humanity in this book. Not only with the preppers, but like when uh, Bang's mother, she's been watching everybody left in the town and she decides Graham is a good guy and he's lost everybody. And her thing is like, you need Bang and Bang needs you. And as you know, in in a human moment, Graham buries her with mm-hmm. his family because he's like, I think my wife would have got along with this lady, which I thought was really sweet. Yeah. So there is some nice representation of humans still having compassion towards each other and not just um, being maniacs. Well, I think A.R. Shaw is herself a prepper. Yeah. 
Um, I did a little bit more research right after I finished the book. Look Specifically, at you. I wanted to see how many more books there were in the series. Mm-hmm. And she has another series that she is writing that is a- another post-apocalyptic prepperish series. She's the queen of prepper fiction. Yeah, so I think I think that that is her thing anyway. I think she knows, at least it seems like, she knows a lot about prep- prepping. Yeah. Uh, and I respect that. Yeah. That's cool that the preppers help them. That's yeah. cool. Um, can we talk about Campos? Sure. So Campos is an interesting part of it. A little bit more of that dark negative thing. Um, nuts. Nuts. Now, this is not going to be the best representation of a mentally ill person in fiction. <laughs> yeah. They, um, they don't... They don't um... He's he doesn't really actually have any. He doesn't have the symptoms of an of a typical. Yeah, uh, he's got like five things going on, and he clearly snapped after everybody yeah. started dying. He talks about the voices, but then he also starts speaking in the voices, so he's schizophrenic and has multiple personality disorder and yeah, disassociative identity. And he's disorder. on a medication that actually doesn't help any of those. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like this useless medication he's on. It kind of helps for like fifteen minute increments. Yeah. Well, it's, the problem is, yeah. I mean, the explanation is he couldn't find any more after the, right. you know, the China pandemic came through. It, he's almost got, like, the the facilities of, like, an 11 or 12-year-old boy, too. Yeah. Like, he's not quite well. Um, and, like, he just, he's like, I, I'm the mayor of this town now. Like, I mean, there's something kind of creepy and, and uh, wonderful in a horrible way about him. Um and I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, I've read a lot of horror. I've watched a lot of horror. Duh, I'm super into it. And you do get your share of mentally ill characters because it can be very scary. And I know that, I mean, I would prefer things to be more supernatural or something than just like a quote unquote crazy person going after people because I, I know there's a lot of people that have serious mental disorders and they're trying to live normal lives normal lives whatever normal life is anyway we're not gonna get too much into that he's got a laundry list of things wrong with him and uh uh let's see where's this part that i like here um a a crazed man powered up a small worn backhoe he scooped his victim up with the bucket then spilled him still alive and screaming into a massive fire that he kept burning all day in a dumpster (laughs) (laughs) that is pretty messed up that's pretty whack that's pretty and it's scary and it's like you know i did want some scary stuff like this i did i did want some scary stuff i like it in your post-apocalyptic your zombie books when there's weird cults and you know deranged hermits and stuff i like it um you know and he doesn't last long graham graham learns a lesson there that in his way and this is clearly the author's opinion i guess is when somebody seems bad, just do it. Yeah. But he still... Just pull that trigger. He never... He doesn't actually learn that lesson throughout the whole book, though. Because every because yeah. every single time something happens, it's because he didn't just take the shot. He didn't just kill yeah. the person. Because that was kind of like his dad's way. And at the beginning of this book, we learned that um, his dad was military and he tried to train him up mm-hmm. 
He tried to make him prepper and it didn't really take with Graham. Um, it says it's like a sort of an act of rebellion and then it's just not for me. And he knows a lot about this stuff. He grew up hunting and fishing and camping and stuff, but um, he's kind of chosen to get away from it. And he's like, okay, now this is also, I think, going to be a derisive point in this book is if you are pro-gun or anti-gun. Yeah. This book is pro-gun. Very pro-gun. Um, you should have eight guns. You, you should, should have 12 guns. Because. You should have all the guns. And some ammo. Yeah, definitely lots of ammo. Because you don't know what could happen. Um, now, here's the thing is, I mean, yeah, you got to live off the land and you might have to shoot some fools that, uh, you know, try to steal your women folk. Well, I, I find it interesting because I talked about how there's not a whole lot of figuring things out. A lot of a lot of it is, oh, this person, exp you know, explains how to do this thing to 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 fix their problem um, with with the, the the only exception to that is Graham is always learning lessons about how to handle and treat and keep his gun by his side. Yeah. You know, first he leaves his gun over there. Oh, I'll never leave it. I'll never have it away from my body well, again. And there are packs of and, rabid dogs. Well, yes. but and, you know, <laughs> Well, they're not rabid, but yeah. they're cray cray. But then another time, you know, he, he learned, well, he, he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't even keep the gun kind of leaning next to him. It needs to be strapped to him at all times. And, <laughs> All the kids always have to have the guns on their harness, and he's always impressed when the kids pull their guns right away. I mean, that he learns so much about how to keep a gun by his side at all times. <laughs> well, and it's also got, I mean, a fair dose of gun safety. Yes. Like, um, he trained, like, Tala knows guns, and so does Ennis, because he was a cop. Yes. But, like... um. And Bang's mom had started to teach him about guns, but he actually knows more about, like, bows and snares, which is kind of adorable. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's clearly, like, it's the belief that sane, smart, rational people should have guns because they will know how to use them and how to be safe with them. Um, it is responsible gun use. Yes, it is. They're... There's, there's nowhere in there where there is irresponsible gun use. And whatever your personal politics are, I, I think that that does seem pretty clear. And this is also a fantastical situation. Yes. This is not real life. Um, so if you don't believe in, uh, you know, open or concealed carry laws, <laughs> maybe <laughs> you would in this post-apocalyptic situation. Yeah, but there, there is, there is a scene that's about four pages of them deciding who's going to carry what gun. You remember that? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. That, that pistol won't work for you. You won't, you won't be able to handle it. Oh, well you can have mine and I'll take that one. I mean, there's a <laughs> <laughs> She's into guns. She's into guns. I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Scott's into guns. Another responsible gun person. I think, I think that, that a responsible person can be a responsible gun owner. Absolutely. And there should be plenty of things in place for that. Um, anyway, uh, so that might be if you're just completely anti-gun, you hate guns, you're probably going to have a problem with this book. Yes. But if you're not into guns, you probably don't read a whole lot of post-apocalyptic horror. This is not horror. Okay, post-apocalyptic... Anything. Anything. Um... 
you know, something else that I liked that I highlighted in here too, we read this on Kindle, is um, this part when after Campos gets, what's her name? One of the girls, uh, Marcy. Yeah, Marcy. And he's got to stitch up her leg. Oh, it was, that, that actually was a great that whole scene yeah. in the uh that was uh, ga- well written in the in the uh guys it was a gas station it, i think it was like a market yeah like a, yes convenience store yeah. um oh. and i love there's actually a line in there graham had no idea what he was doing um <laughs> which i appreciate because i think that in that situation in that life or death moment you're trying to save somebody you would just kind of try to remember what you could from vaguely reading things probably watching medical tv shows and um you know get out your alcohol and sterilize a needle and some thick ass thread and um get to work get to work you know i think he like has some ice to try to like dumb the pain but the, i mean no i'm not dumb yeah the pain um but i mean he doesn't know what the hell he's doing but that was that was actually this that was the turn that was a scene in the book that i realized that this was going to be an optimistic book mm-hmm. because what made that scene so suspenseful is I, tr- I i really didn't know if she was going to survive that scene right because if cuz if the book was going to go more sad post apocalyptic that would have been the scene to kill one of the twins and that would have taken it down that road. Yeah. And her surviving that, that, which I'm glad she survived it was the turning point that made me go, okay, this is an optimistic thriller. I mean, I, I guess I'm glad she survived it, but I just, except that you hated both I of them. I didn't so. like them. There's nothing personal against them. They just weren't fleshed out. Um, so I guess one of the things too, we kind of touched on, but really probably my biggest problem with the book was when there was times of just big chunks of exposition. And I'm not saying we need to detail every day, every second of these people's lives or anything, but there's actually, you know, when um, the preppers help Graham rescue Tala from the rapers, um, you know, it says in there something like they were there for five days at the prepper camp. And it's like five days, five days. Like, I would rather you always show me what's happening than to tell me. And there's too much tell me in this book. I I feel like there was a lot of room for them to use scenes like that. And when the other two preppers were in observation to actually go into internal character strife, what it would be like to be locked up for five, ten days under observation, thinking that... You know, the next blo- next time your blood was drawn, you might be dead. Did the preppers have, was that lady, was she a actual medical doctor? She was. She was a scientist, I believe. So that was pretty cool. I mean, they had somebody very useful there. That's really something you need. And now I've watched, I've watched, uh, you know, the prepper shows mm-hmm. here and there. Those were the most well-prepared, richest preppers I've oh, ever heard of. absolutely. They had a whole medical lab with, with, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they were, they, they deserved to, to, to survive. I agree. <laughs> um, and one thing that I kind of liked that was delving a little bit deeper and giving the book a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more meat, shall we say, 
is, I can't remember his name, but the one prepper who becomes, he contracts the virus. Yeah, he becomes a carrier at he the be- very end. He becomes a carrier and he doesn't die. Three but he's, pages worth. And he's, um, he can't live with his daughter. Yes. Because they don't know if she would die from it or not. So he's got to go live with Graham and everybody. And at the very end, they're just meeting each other from across the river. And, like, they, like, give each other little gifts and notes and stuff. And she's still, like, really young. Like, she's, like, three or something. Mm -hmm. Like, to the point where she doesn't quite understand what's going on. But I thought, like, you know, that's something different that I haven't seen in one of these type of books, I, I tip my hat to that because that has the potential for some really interesting stuff to happen. There'd be a lot of bitterness in that. A big difference between survivor's guilt, which what everyone else is experiencing, and, well, just complete separation. Even though they're all still alive, you can't touch them ever again. Yeah, probably. And, and you know, that's part of the reason I want to read the next book. The next book is called uh, The the Preppers. I th- I think it's just called The Preppers. <laughs> the, the next book sounds like it's more about the preppers and their stuff. And I want to get more into their characters because I actually like them better than the rest <laughs> of them. They seem to have a little bit more humor and personality. Um I'm not sure if I want to continue this series. I mean, I do because I don't think it's very long and I'm not a completionist, but I think, I think we probably will read them and cover them eventually, but I think we might, I don't know, space it out. I'm definitely going to read the rest. I don't know if we'll necessarily cover the rest of them because, again, I, I do feel like if you, unless things go completely off the rails, mm-hmm. I think that after the first book and maybe even this episode, you'll know if this is the series for you or not. And that's what I said earlier, but I'm almost kind of taking those words back because I'm just not sure. I think I might attempt the next book, but we might, I don't know, we might em- doing like um scott will read all the books and he'll just give you a mini wrap up or something that could be fun yeah we'll let him have the spotlight on his own why the hell not he's a nice guy but if there is another sexual assault scene i'm out i don't need another terry goodkind series yeah you okay yeah terry Terry goodkind (laughs) a a rape around every corner in that series even though there's still really great things about those books (laughs) but that that that's a series for another another podcast oh and that will happen that might have to happen after some drinking but yeah some drinking and and some uh cliff's notes to catch ourselves back up again because that could be fun and everybody that's read terry goodkind will call it like the terry goodkind drinking game and we'll all just drink a lot and talk about Terry, Terry Goodkind. And... <laughs> well, thank you for listening to Genre Junkies, both parts. Yay. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed the show and enjoyed the book if you read it. And if you didn't, why the hell not? Why didn't you like our show? <laughs> just kidding. Um, well, I so, guess we like constructive criticism, but I mean, we're pretty awesome. So. All right. So follow us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, everywhere that we uh, we can be found at genredrunkies.com. And uh, until next time, I'm Scott. I'm Sandra. And remember, we will always post what we're reading so that you can join in the fun. That's right. And until next time, 
please read past your bedtimes. <laughs>